So thanks a lot for the warm welcome. It's such a privilege to be here. And I feel that in this case, I'm leaving my new Norwegian identity a little bit behind <laughs> and keeping to my Swedish old identity and feeling in exile here. Aren't we? Uh, so um, it's such a privilege to be together. You know, I know this fellowship means a lot for many people. People describe it as home away from home, which I think is appropriate. And I think it's a privilege to meet like this across so many boundaries. And uh, we would like to share something about from that mysterious passage, which uh, uh, was quoted right now, and it's from the Book of Acts. And you know, the Book of Acts is such a fascinating book. It takes us the gospel from Jerusalem the whole way to Rome. It takes us on a journey where Paul and the others are encountering various, not just geographical places or cultural places, but also places where people have different worldviews, different perspectives, different convictions, different beliefs. And it's a, like a tour across the whole um, worldview spectrum of the ancient Roman world. And in many ways, it's like our world. You know, in our everyday life, we meet so many different, hear so many different voices. We hear so many different messages. We hear so many different people with different convictions. Sometimes we feel it's something we align with, something we can identify with. Other times it's not. And uh, we are privileged, of course, here in, 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 in this part of the country to have Ingvar as a radio host in the morning. I don't know if you listen in to radio, uh, to NRK. It's uh, just wonderful to listen in to that. Um, and I think there is, some, there is a place for each one of us in creating places of friendship where we can meet and explore life together and also explore what is important together. And we may come with different... You know, luggage, different baggage, different perspectives, different insights. And uh, um, sometimes, you know, we look on the Christian worldview, Christian belief from the inside, like these wonderful songs, hymns we, we sang, including what English shared with us. It's written about the Christian faith from the inside and out. And... Uh, let us reveal the secret, Egil. The passage was Acts 26. And, and um, there we meet, it's one of a series of defenses that, that Paul is invited to deliver for various contexts and various audiences. And it's a very, it's a beautiful speech where he relates to the people present. And then suddenly this, this uh, character, Festus, the Roman governor, interjects, objects, and comes with this objection. You must be out of your mind because of your great learning. So I don't think anyone ever has objected to me because of my learning. I don't know if you have come across that. It's fascinating, isn't it? That Paul actually get this kind of, of, of so there is obviously a respect there in the midst of it, of this objection there is a recognition of that there is learning there um, and 
Let me just read to you the, the final verses um, of his speech. And this is actually a very a beautiful speech. And let me just say, Paul starts with telling about his background as a Pharisee, then how he was a persecutor of the church, and then how he became both converted and commissioned as an apostle on, on the road to, to Damascus, as you may recall if you have read the story before. And then it's about the message that he was commissioned with. And then it says in verses 22 and onwards. But I've had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. So, before I'm joined by, by Peter, and before I'll tell you more about, or Pete will tell more about himself, uh, why do you think Festus objected? Maybe you could just have a minute or half a minute with the person sitting beside you and ask yourself that question. Why did he interrupt? What was so controversial there in the verses I read? Okay, I stand here and testify, Paul said, let me repeat it, to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. But why was that so controversial? Okay, my friends, I've, it's so good to hear the conversation going. Uh, I think there are at least three or four possible answers, and maybe all of them are right. So here is uh, just for anyone to to uh, suggest anything that could be help us to understand together. Anyone has a suggestion? He didn't like that. He said Jesus is written from the dead. Aha! So the resurrection from the dead was controversial. I think you're quite right, and because. You know, we, that's not our experience. People who die, they don't rise from the dead. That's sort of our normal experience, to put it that way. So, of course, that was very provoking, you know? Very, very controversial, okay? At least that's, that's one very good answer, yes? But if I have yes? to the history of the Romans, well, they believe in life after death. Uh-huh. But, but the, the truth and the the fact that Paul was saying was a bit hurt, he didn't want to, to, to believe it, even though he knew that it was true. Uh huh. So there is something controversial there? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, anyone else? I think that if, if he believed in, uh, in Christ as uh -huh. the Messiah, mm -hmm. uh, that should be a, a, a conquering king and uh, Mm -hmm. and saviour and then to, uh, to proclaim that he was going to suffer and even to die 
would be a contradiction. So that itself. that twin claim or dual claim of Christ Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, yeah. and secondly that that Christ was to suffer. Yeah. That the claim that Messiah was a suffering Messiah, and not a Messiah that was you know a military conqueror to get rid of, of, of the occupation, for example. Yeah? I think you are quite right. There is one final thing that I think we... One or two additional things that could be said. What do you think about his Paul's uh, uh, claim and would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles? Is that very humble? <laughs> Is that uh, yes? I think sending light to the Gentiles too is a contradiction mm -hmm. because he's combining both the, his own people and the Gentiles too. So I think mm -hmm. it's yes. So it's saying it includes the Gentiles, and that may be controversial to many present, but also claiming, following on from that, that he's a bring the light, and that means that there is a lack of light, there is darkness where light is needed. That's quite, uh, quite, a, quite a claim, isn't it? So we can understand that from a position of outside the Christian faith, this is, it's not difficult to understand that, that this created controversy. This created a challenging situation. And that is, of course, where the philosopher comes into place. <laughs> Pete, welcome. Thank you. Uh, so... So, uh, so Pete is a good colleague and friend, and you are living in UK, in Southampton. Yeah. So, when 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 someone understands that you are philosopher, do they usually want to go into conversation, or do they say, "Oh, he is maybe a bit difficult to relate to"? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think a lot of people that I meet when they find that out. Uh, are quite interested, mm -hmm. uh, want a discussion about um, often religious matters, because philosophy is known as a subject that sort of touches on religion. Mm -hmm. um, that is, if they haven't confused me with psychology, <laughs> which is often a confusion that, that's made. So, but I, I swear that, no, I'm a philosopher, not a psychologist. Uh, so uh, I, there are some issues that I can have an interesting conversation with you about and others that I'm not qualified mm -hmm. to, uh, to deal with. Okay, yeah. so let us not <laughs> go into the psychology trap there. Yeah. Okay? Uh, the fascinating thing is how Paul responds to the accusation. And let's, let's uh, take that up because it's very much related to your work, uh, Pete, as well. And he starts by saying, I'm not insane, most excellent. I'm not insane, Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. So it seems that Paul is very polite, first of all, isn't he? Yes. Uh, if you re read the whole speech, he's, he's very polite. He's using very good uh, kind of classical rhetoric, the way of communicating convincingly with your audience. Uh, he's very uh, polite. He uh, says nice things about the guy who is uh, basically the, the judge in this, this court. Mm -hmm. Uh, Festus uh, and uh, appeals to uh, Festus's own sort of knowledge of events of uh, uh, Jewish religious ideas 
uh, and and so on and sort mm. of uh, says you know I'm going to put my trust in you as someone who knows enough about this to make a, a to make a, a reasonable judgment uh, and you know I'm going to make an appeal that the, the reasonable judgment is that I'm not uh, guilty of going against uh, the Jewish tradition, as I've been accused of, of doing, but that this thing that I'm proclaiming about Jesus as the Jewish Messiah actually is in line with what's written in the prophets and so on. It's there, but there's a difference here over how those Old Testament prophets and so on are interpreted through the lens of the actual events of Jesus's life and death and, mm -hmm. and resurrection. So there's a difference of interpretation, but Paul is appealing to that kind of common ground of the, the Jewish scriptures mm -hmm. and saying, actually, you can interpret those scriptures as fitting exactly with what, what I and the other disciples of Jesus, the other apostles have actually experienced here in, in our lives. So it's fascinating, isn't it, that Paul starts by after being, you know, acknowledging the person, seeing that, that saying that this person is, is, uh, you know, someone to to sh show respect to. He says, "What I'm saying is true and reasonable." What on earth did Paul mean about that? What did he mean by that? Yeah, well, what is truth? What is Pilate. what is true? Asked Pilate. In, indeed, like. I sort of dismissive, can you even know truth, uh, in a sense? I mean, defining it is quite easy. Uh, Aristotle, uh, very famously, the ancient Greek philosopher that, that Paul and his contemporaries then would, would have known about, Aristotle was an ancient figure by then, you know, uh, defined uh, the, the, the truth as if you, if you say of something that is the case, that it is the case, you speak the truth. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, so you're, you're you're accurately representing reality, mm -hmm. in other words. So it's a picture of reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, accurately describes the facts. Mm -hmm. But the question is, well, how, how can you tell that, that your claim about what is true is is a reasonable one? Mm -hmm. uh, so first of all, it seems as if he's saying what I'm saying is truth. It is true. And then he adds, it's reasonable, and some. Translations say in Norwegian, for example, mm. says it's it's properly thought through. I've spent time thinking through it. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Paul had spent time thinking through the Christian faith. Yeah, and thinking through in this context, perhaps particularly his understanding of what those Old Testament prophets mm -hmm. were were saying, in light of his experience on the road to Damascus of Christ. And the experience that, that he's gathered through meeting the other apostles in, in Jerusalem and so on, um, that their experience of Christ shapes their understanding of those Old Testament prophets. And they kind of see, ah, now we see what those prophets were talking about. Because as, as, as the gentleman here mentioned, uh, particularly at that time, a lot of the Jews under the, the pressure of the, the Roman um, occupation of the Holy Land were looking for a kind of military leader, Messiah, a Messiah who was all about, you know, defeating evil and sin, and, and that meant getting rid of the pagan Gentiles. And they kind of, had kind of overlooked those parts of the Old Testament that talked about how the Jews were a chosen nation from God in order to bless the whole world. 
in order to bless the Gentiles, to bring the Messiah who would be for everyone. Um, that the first uh, Old Testament covenant with, that Moses inaugurated with the people and so on was to lead to a new covenant. Uh, there was a more inclusive uh, covenant. So there's that, that, that sort of, my interpretation of what these scriptures are talking about is actually a, a rational, reasonable one in light of the truth of Christ. Hmm. Fascinating stuff, this. Uh, you know, I imagine this courtroom is full of people. It says actually in, 20, in chapter 25 that uh, the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city and so on. So we can imagine there's a lot of people in this room and it's like Festus is faced, you know, straight ahead and there is King Agrippa, you know, the, the, the sort of subordinate king in relationship to Festus. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that Paul says, what I'm saying is true, the king is familiar with these things, speaking of the king in the third person, not you, but, you know, the king, sort of referring to the king on the side, and I can speak freely to him. Fascinating. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Yeah. What on earth does that mean, Pete? So he's, he's making an appeal to things that are public knowledge. And of course, that's a, that's a very dangerous, risky maneuver to do if that's not true. If, the, if these things are not a matter of public knowledge, uh, his defence would have immediately collapsed there and then, right? So there are th Paul is claiming that there are at least publicly known things about the ministry of Jesus and about the, the claims of the early Christians uh, that uh, the king would be in a good position to himself know about, to have received reports about, uh, so he can kind of appeal to to him off the side of the bench there as a witness on his side for those matters of public record mm -hmm. um, which touch on his case. So here Paul is actually claiming that what happened with Jesus isn't just a mysterious thing that happened in a faith world. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. But happened in the real physical space and time yeah. reality. It happened in, in real space-time history and not, not off in some private corner where you know, this, this group of people come out and say, this amazing thing happened to us, but you know, there's no way that you can check it. You just have to take our word for it. They said, this amazing thing happened in Jerusalem. And you know, Jesus died under, the, under Pontius Pilate. You, you can go and, go and check the official Roman records. Uh, talk to people who were there when he was crucified. Uh, he was buried in a tomb and it was empty on the third day. Where did that happen? In the capital, in Jerusalem. You can, you can go and check the tomb, see if it's empty or not yourself. Um, ask the authorities what happened. You know, they came up with a story. Yes, we, we posted some guards, uh, but <clears throat> they all fell asleep. Uh, mm, is that a likely kind of story about what happened or... Yeah, you know, so you can interrogate the kind of the witnesses to these matters of public record and begin asking the question, okay, here's the, the evidence that we need to explain 
And then we have to ask ourselves, what's the, the most reasonable explanation, understanding of that evidence, of those events, of those matters of public record? So Paul is actually inviting us to explore mm. the claims of the Christian faith, the truth claims, it seems. Yeah. Uh, and then he adds, fascinating, and then turning to King Agrippa on the side, on the bench there on the side, saying, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Uh, I don't know if you're interested in, in crime stories, but, but you know, sometimes the, the police uh, make a phantom picture, you know that? You know, where you, you sort of, this is what the guy almost, or the, or the what did I say, guy? Does it have to be a man? Well, often it is. Often it is, yeah. So, uh, you, you know, the person in question, okay, uh, was, was uh, uh, you know, looks probably something like this. And when you put all the Old Testament prophecies together, it's like a phantom picture of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, and, and I know, Pete, you have done quite a lot of work on, on seeing the, the sort of the Christ of the Old Testament, mm. the Messiah and Jesus. Could you give us three, four examples of, of that kind of link that, yes. that, that Paul is sort of yeah. alluding at? Well, first of all, let me, let me just go back to my earlier comments on that, that prophecy and how they were being viewed at the time and why this was controversial. Um, because it, it is true that there is this, this sort of level in the Old Testament about the Messiah defeating evil and sin and, and, and coming in judgment. But there's also this level about him being a, a suffering servant. Uh, about the, and, and how do you kind of fit these two things together, a conqueror and a sufferer? Um, and, you know, the disciples claim, Jesus' expression of that was that, you know, I've come now as a sacrifice for sin, as a suffering servant, and I will return at the end of human history in judgment. Uh, so it's kind of this, this way around, and that fits in both of those streams so of data. So it's got the theme of the already, but not yet, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm in the process of dealing with sin, but the way that I'm doing it is through this offer of salvation and forgiveness, uh, and then ultimately, yes, God will, through Christ, deal with all evil, ultimately, will establish uh, heaven on earth, the kingdom uh, on earth. But the kingdom is already kind of here and growing amongst us, uh, as Jesus expresses it in, in various like, like a parables, mustard seed. like a mustard seed yeah. that's growing and one day will, will finally flourish, you know. Uh, so that, that kind of interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures fits in all of that data, and I would point you, if you want to just read for yourself, particularly things like um, Psalm 22, uh, Isaiah, uh, Prophet Isaiah, around sort of chapter 53 in particular, is a very famous passage from Isaiah that talks about the suffering servant. Uh, and this suffering servant who seems to die and yet still have life after he has died. And very kind of... Uh, interesting poetic pictures that actually you can kind of bring into focus and fit all this information together into the picture uh, that the New Testament gives us of Christ as a way of understanding what the Old Testament is, is talking about. Hmm. So here Paul in a few verses 
only in a very compact way introduces us to logic and philosophy about the truth question, to history mm. and evidence, and to prophecy and fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. You see, the Christians were not just proclaiming, here was a new religious idea, or a, a new sort of political ideal about a way to live. They're saying, God has actually done something in history, in public. Uh, we were eyewitnesses to this. Paul himself is saying, I used to persecute the church. I thought they were in the wrong and that the right thing to do was to persecute them. And then, good grief, I met the risen Jesus and it turned my life around. And I then became a proclaimer of the gospel, of the good news. And isn't it fascinating that Paul is telling his own faith story, you know, in the defense? And it's sort of the, the story from the inside, you know, from, from the point of view of the experience of Christ mm. from the inside. And then when he's questions, he's not without answers. He actually has mm. some answers to give why he believed the gospel of Christ is true. Yeah. Because, again, it, it, this wasn't a sort of process of, you know, like uh, the, the philosopher René Descartes, I, I, I went into private and, and sat with my own thoughts and, and came to this kind of religious epiphany. It's kind of the opposite of that. It's like, I knew what I was about. I was about defending the honour of Yahweh and persecuting these upstart Christians who are saying that this Jesus guy is a messiah and he's a suffering messiah. And that's a terrible... Oh, hello, Jesus... Oh, you are? Right. Um, I've had to turn my life around then. <laughs> and that Damascus experience is, is uh, retold three times, I think, in the yeah. Book of Acts, yeah. because it's so significant. Completely central to yeah. Paul's story. Yeah. 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 And then how this then continues, you know, it says... Agrippa answers, responds in a way that has been interpreted in different ways. Mm. It may be interpreted as an ironic statement, or as a statement of curiosity, or as a statement of interest. You know, listen to this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? So that may be, you know, something, haha, do you, do you think that you can do that? Or maybe there is something to this. Or maybe even he felt the attractiveness of the gospel. Maybe, you know, he felt something, something touched him. Or maybe it was a mixture of emotions. Whatever it was, it's a fascinating dialogue. What do you make out yeah, of this, yeah. uh, Pete? And, and the fact that it invites dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for m most people who have been in a position of, of becoming a, a Christian, of exploring, thinking about Christianity, wondering whether becoming a follower of Christ is a true, reasonable, good, is it a beautiful thing to become a follower of Christ, that for most people that's going to take some time. Uh, because, again, Becoming a follower of Christ, it's not just about you know, changing your world view in terms of how you would answer some philosophical questions about the nature of reality at the next pub quiz. Maybe you go to different pub quizzes than I do. Uh, but changing your kind of way of life to become a follower of, of Jesus. It, it says there in the passage about uh, having uh, faith 
in Jesus and kind of living a life that fits uh, with that, that expresses that, that allegiance to or devotion to Jesus. Um, so uh, Jesus, through the gospel, is making a big ask of us for a, 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 a kind of big thing to become a, a forgiven friend of God. Uh, who is part of God's kingdom on earth that is growing now and will flourish in eternity. Um, but to do that, we need to, um, you know, the biblical theological word is re- repent. In the Greek, it means, like, change your mind, turn around, change your way of life from someone who's not a follower of Christ to someone who is a follower of Christ. And that's, you know, it includes things up here. But it also in- includes what, what's in here and what we, we do in the world uh, uh, as a response. So it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. But you know, anybody who comes from any kind of perspective, you were talking right at the beginning about the, the different perspectives and worldviews that people come from, those worldviews are also, different worldviews are matched with, with different things in people's hearts, different kind of attitudes and commitments and choices that we have to make in life which results in us actually practically doing different things. Now, there's some overlap between all those you know, different views. Of course, things that we can agree on with people of, from other religions and other re- re- philosophical viewpoints and so on. But there are differences where you can't just kind of draw the curtain over the fact that, well, these can't both be true. You know, it can't be true that Jesus is the divine Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, and true that he's not. Um, And actually, of course, that is the the key truth claim that makes a distinction between a a Christian view of reality and all others. So this is is really the the key uh, point, and why, of course, it is being laboured so much through books like like Acts, this question of, well, who really is Jesus? And should we become his followers or not? Which is a stark choice in Mm. a way. A very radical thing and something that we all encounter, not just once in life, but a continuous kind of choice, isn't it? And, And the way Paul then responds, replies to Agrippa again, when Agrippa said, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long? And here is a very beautiful statement by Paul. I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, a follower of Christ, mm. except for these changes. Yeah. I think in some Norwegian translations it's written that Agrippa says that you are so close to persuading me, just a little bit away from me. Hmm. Some, yeah. yeah, that's right. So, so it's a, it, maybe it could be translated in different ways. Maybe the word is ambiguous, can, can have a you know, double meaning. I think that's often the case in languages that, you know, and, and the way it is being expressed by other things than just the words may, may have a, 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 an emphasis in that sense. So, but I think there is something genuinely beautiful about Paul's response there. He, he wishes everyone there present. Mm-hmm. And it's like the turning of the tables because he's the accused one, isn't it? 
And then he's saying he wants everyone to become like him, but without these chains. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that attitude is expressing that, that Christ-like attitude of offering kind of forgiveness, a lack of a desire for vengeance or retribution upon people. Like here he is in chains, accused of something that as far as he's concerned, he's not guilty of. And he's saying to the people who've put him in chains and putting him on trial, uh, I wish you were like me, apart from, you know, being falsely accused and put in chains. I don't wish this fate on you. What I wish on you is to be a follower of Christ. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. It's, it's something, I think there's a magnetism there in the gospel uh, that draws us to the gospel, mm. to the message of love, to the message yeah. of of, of humility and you know, of, of true humility and it's like he's mirroring Christ yeah. as you say and then we have the final verses there is fascinating and it's obviously Luke records it, what, what happens next on basis of sources you know either maybe he had been in contact with someone you know in the working for one of these guys um, because they disappeared they went and discussed the things and they concluded this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. This man could have been set free, Agrippa said to Festus, if he had not appealed to Caesar. Yeah. Um, what is your reflection on those final verses, Pete? Well, this, this, I mean, earlier in the story, there had been a commotion, and Paul had kind of got himself out of the situation by making this appeal to Caesar, uh, saying, I want to be tried by the Roman authorities rather than the local authorities, as it were. And that had started him on this road to Rome, uh, where he ends up as a martyr. He ends up on trial twice in Rome and eventually being, being killed um, in, in Rome as a follower of, of Christ. But it, it's kind of, this is part of the story that Luke, that Luke is telling, as he said, of, of how the message of Christ goes from this you know, provincial Roman capital of Jerusalem to the, to the heart uh, of the empire. Um, and uh, that message of Christ kind of spreads uh, through uh, the persecuting forces of, of, of Rome. Um, through using uh, the, the Pax Romana, the Roman law, uh, that, it, that it is actually kind of in the end is the downfall of Rome, right? Uh, uh, that uh, Rome is not uh, overturned and kicked out uh, by violent revolt and that kind of uh, military messiah kind of solution, but that ultimately the gospel message is what plays a large role in, in, in unpicking Rome and converting Rome into what then became the Holy Roman Empire and, and so on. Now, there were, there were good things and there were bad things about the, 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 the historical sort of Holy Roman Empire. But I think that emphasis on that the Christians were not there to revolt and to kill the Romans, but they're, again, they're there to... Um, to include the Romans as part of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God, um, that we're, we're prepared to, to suffer, uh, you know, to be in chains under Roman law, uh, to be dragged off to Rome and eventually killed by Roman law, um, in, in order, in a sense, to be able to, to spread uh, that message. I think Paul comes, comes to see this as kind of, actually, this is a way in which 
the gospel message is being spread, that I'm in chains for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and actually this is opening up doors, opening up routes to proclaiming the gospel that I wouldn't have had uh, otherwise. Hmm. So out of just these few verses, there are like avenues of possible exploration, you know, of in terms of by way of thinking, reflecting the logic, the philosophy, the history, the historical evidence, the prophecy fulfillment about Christ, the personal life-changing mm. story of Paul, and that now the willingness to suffer for the gospel, and, and being, you know, not a revol- military revolutionary, but a, mm. a peaceful revolutionary, yeah. so to speak. Um, how do you think this speaks to us today? Well, as you say, today's situation, in, in a sense, is very different, but in a sense, is very similar. We live in this world with all sorts of conflicting religious and uh, secular kind of views on life, different ways of living, uh, and we face those those political questions of, well, how do we live together with people that we disagree with? How do we disagree in an agreeable way with each other? Uh, how can we view people who disagree with us with, with, and treat them with, with love and respect uh, whilst also standing up for what we believe in a reasonable and rational manner? Um, those are kind of two sides uh, of the balance that it's quite difficult to hold together, right? You can, you can live in peace with everybody if you never touch on anything you disagree with. <laughs> or if you're prepared to just go along with the herd, right? But to actually have a view, stick to it, even when it's costly, but treat people who differ with you in a loving and reasonable way, that's kind of like the, 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 the cultural um, jackpot today, isn't it? Uh, and yet here is Paul uh, in his um, mirroring of what Christ taught the disciples, of the, the, the life and example of Christ. Here is Paul showing us kind of a way to do that in the multicultural, multi-religious world of the Roman Empire in the first century. Hmm. There is a lot to reflect on here, isn't it? To, to take with us and ask how does this apply to our situation you know whether we look at this from outside the Christian faith and ex- wanting to explore it or just want needing to again to ask ourselves maybe asking ourselves is there a good reasons for keeping on believing keeping on living as a disciple or whether it's you know we have come in touch with some, I want to share the gospel with them, and we want to, to really to, to, to be inspired, encouraged, and get a model for relating, as you say, mm-hmm. with love and reasonably. Mm. Uh, so, so there is a lot to, to take away from this. Yeah. Maybe uh, could I ask you to lead us in prayer as we finish sure. this? Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for this passage that Luke wrote so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and yet the way in which it speaks into our lives and world now. 
partly because of the eternal relevance, of course, of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, and of his example and of his teachings as proclaimed through his disciples and folks like Paul, folks like Luke. Um, help us to, um, to take the things that we have learned about this evening and to uh, thoughtfully and lovingly apply them to our own situation. Uh, be that one of uh, being someone who's just thinking about, exploring the possibility of being a follower of Christ and whether that is something that's reasonable and good and beautiful to do whether we're trying to uh, relate ourselves to other people who are in that uh, exploring position, as we deal with some of the controversies uh, in our society, perhaps those controversies even um, impinge into uh, our own family discussions around the meal table where we have uh, different uh, political and uh, religious views represented there. Help us, Lord, to, to follow your... Uh, Bible's model of relating to people both with love and with reason and holding those together uh, in the way that Christ himself modelled for he was you he was uh, the divine source of uh, truth, of goodness of love and of beauty Amen Amen. And uh, Pete if someone would like to read something that you have written how should they do that they should, they, they should go to my website uh, which is peter s for stephen williams peter and that will give you access to a lot of free resources as well as all links word, uh, all, one, all one word small case peter uh, lots of free stuff there I, I have a podcast i have a youtube channel uh, I have free available papers and so on, but it'll also tell you information about my, my books and uh, links to where you can get those mm. and so on. But, uh, the final question before Egil gets into mm. this place again. Um, you're, written this, you're, re, you're now uh, writing a series of books. Mm. Could just mention the titles? Yes, yeah, so I'm doing a, a series of books which are basically pulling together papers that I've written over the last... Uh, decades uh, and uh, sort of revising those and getting uh, getting someone famous to write a foreword for it and so on and we're, uh, that way I can produce a book a year it usually takes me two or three years to write a book but by pulling on uh, papers that I've published say in the college journal and in other journals and, and things we're doing this series of books the first one was called apologetics in 3d that's about really sort of um, trying to help people to understand that being a follower of Jesus is a reasonable, good and beautiful thing, uh, the 3D, uh, to be. It's called Apologetics in 3D. I'm just about to publish a book uh, basically about arguments for the existence of God. It's called A Universe from Someone. Uh, Essays on natural theology, on arguing for God. Next year I'm doing a book on uh, arguments from design within... um, uh, biology in particular, biology uh, and sort of design arguments called An Informed Cosmos. And then the year after that, I'm doing a book of essays on issues around the historical Jesus, uh, uh, which I haven't definitely t- nailed the title down uh, for yet, but it'll be essays about the historical Jesus, something like that. So if you have a good title for Pete, yeah, come over coffee. <laughs> come and suggest Thank it. you.